0: So a reading from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of our Lord. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of our Lord.
1: All right, Mark chapter two, amazing story. Like there's so much going on here. Um, It's almost like virtual reality. Have you ever used virtual reality? You know, virtual reality is a computer simulated version uh, of reality and depending on how you're accessing it, whether it's goggles or, you know, in a big like bus that the screen's moving or whatever. But the point of it is it sort of convinces your senses that something's happening around you. And according to some of your senses, that is exactly what's happening around you. But you know it's not real. But it can feel very, very, very real. Well, I in chapter 2 of Mark here, in this story, if you'll just slow down and read it and enter into it, it, it is very real. Um, this this experience that we have here of a man in a very desperate, pathetic situation, Jesus' response to him, his friends' interactions, like, All of this is, it's incredible. And and, and Mark does a really good job um, after going through chapter one where we talk about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and he's done this first tour of Galilee. And then we come to this incredible uh, experience where everybody who actually enters into this situation, everybody who's there, this is their response. Verse 12, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. If Jesus has ever been boring to you, all right? What happens here, as I'm gonna walk you through this, it, 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 I think if you really in, in live into this, you're gonna be amazed at what he does with this paralytic and the teachers of the law and all the other people who are there. So, here we go. Imagine, Jesus has just done essentially a preaching tour. And he's gone around to different places, and he's talked about some things, and um, he's preaching the word, right? He's going to different places. You read Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verse 15 and verse 39. Jesus is preaching. He is taking this word to them. There's something that Jesus wants us to know. I want you to know this word. I want you to know this thing. Now, this is important for us as Christians. It is so easy for us to get distracted and hyper focused on other things that we say, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this is more important than anything else. Actually, Jesus' primary message here, he's saying, look, the Word, I'm gonna tell you about this. It changes everything, you need to hear it. It is meant to be your center. And this Word, when it's embodied, people are like drawn to it like a flame. When they see what Jesus is saying and they see what he's doing and they kind of take it in and they go, whoa, they're drawn to it. And they think, wow, this is incredible. In Mark chapter 2, verse 2, we read that they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. People are drawn to who Jesus is. Now think about this. When you think about Grace Presbyterian Church or you think about any church in the woodlands, Would you say people are drawn to it? And people who are drawn to it, why are they drawn to it? Or maybe if you've been drawn to it, you're not so drawn to it anymore. Like as a pastor, I do a lot of thinking about this stuff, right? Um, And there's lots of reasons people might not be drawn to a church, you know, they, they might be finding even repelled by a church. One reason could be that that church is not centered on this most important message that Jesus is talking about here, the word. This is the definition of his vision, and so if you're a church not centered on that and you're seeking Jesus, guess what? You're going to go to a church that's not centered on the word and you're not going to find the Lord there. Like you're, going to, you're not going to find the message that was so central to him being the central message of the church. But there's another reason why you might not be drawn to a church. You might be going to find exactly what Jesus has no interest in you finding at all. Now you might be going and looking at a church for something and he's like, that's not what the church is about. You're going to be very disappointed. And Jesus comes and says, this word I'm preaching, it's everything. And when people see it embodied and they hear it preached, they are drawn to it. So what is it? Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, I want you to enter into this situation and almost like a movie. Like you're, you're going to see different scenes, okay? So this first scene we read that people, you're looking at into the house, maybe you're inside the house or outside the house, and it seems like, by the way, this is actually Jesus' house. And he's, coming, he's coming back to this uh, place, and it seems like this might be his house. A lot of commentators think that to be true. But it's a crowded house. There's no room around anywhere. So, like, social distancing is not happening. You know, people are shoulder to shoulder. Kids are probably sitting in parents' laps. Uh, People are probably like, dude, scoot over. You did not wash your feet. Like, come on. Like, they're all crowded in there. And Jesus is teaching them, and they've gathered. Some people probably got there really early, right? You know, those people who go to concerts like 12 hours early to get in front. Like, there were some people there who got there first, and they're sitting in front, and they're right at the Messiah's feet, and they're like, oh, yeah. Like, I get a front row seat to this, and I'm going to watch this. And there's so many people there. There's no space. All space is occupied. Then verse 3. So the camera now pans outside the house, and it's looking down the road perhaps, okay? And, and you see these four men walk around the corner. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the man that was lying on it. So imagine, these four guys are together. They're like, a, Jesus is back, and he has been doing some wild stuff, and he's paralyzed. And we don't know if this is someone's, you know, maybe he's a young man, maybe he has kids. Like We don't know, but he has four friends who are like, we're going to take him to Jesus because maybe he can, you know, he's been casting out demons. He's been healing people. Remember, chapter 1, he's been healing people who are ill. He has power. So we're going to take Fred over there to see Jesus. And so they put him on the mat, and they're carrying him around the corner. They come around the corner, and they're like, oh, it's so crowded. There's no room to even get in the door. And one of the guys, an engineer or something, says, listen, we're going to go on top of the house. i got a, I got a plan. So they go and they find a way in. I don't know if Jesus had like a little ladder. I don't know what it was, but it was a clay house for sure, with straw. And they get up on top of the house, and the men are there, and they're trying to figure out how to get Jesus, how to get their friend into Jesus. Now, pan back into the room with Jesus. Jesus is doing like an awesome sermon. I don't, you know, he's preaching the word. People are interested in it, and they're being drawn to it. And all of a sudden, they start hearing pounding and scratching on the roof. And, you know, they're probably going, this is super weird. Like, is something trying to get in and attack Jesus? Like, what is happening in this moment? They continue to peel at the roof, trying to cut through it. And as soon as they make their first push through the roof, they begin to say, okay, we, we, we're almost there. Now, this is not a little porthole they're trying to create, they're trying to make a hole in the roof that's big enough to lower this man on a mat through a big hole. In Jesus' roof, no less. And so you're back up on top. They're peeling out the clay. They're moving things around. They finally get it to where they can lower the man in. Now, imagine you were one of the people who came early to see Jesus. And you're right up there in front. And dust has begun to fall on your head. And you're thinking, okay, like, this is, like I got here early, so this wouldn't happen to me. I really wanted to be able to focus on the sermon today. And this is so distracting. And then like rocks are falling. So now people are backing up. What did that look like? You know, a mosh pit, right? You know, there's all these people sitting and they're pushing up to get out of the way to make room for this man to be lowered down on the ground. Jesus doesn't seem to be phased at all. At least Mark doesn't give us any detail about that. Verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus doesn't say, Yo, my roof. My roof. He doesn't say, hey, like, let's go outside because clearly this is weird. You know, y'all didn't wait your turn. You just pushed through everybody and cut in line and tore up my house to get your friend here. That's super rude and inappropriate. But I can imagine the people around him were probably saying that, right? The murmurs had probably turned into loud cries like, hey, what are you doing? This is not right. What does Jesus do? He looks at the man and sees their faith which Jeff's version actually talks about this even better, sees the faith of the men who are lowering their friend, he sees their faith and says, your sins are forgiven. Now imagine you're the paralytic for the moment. You're inside the head of the paralytic. And and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I think he's probably going, "Uh uh-huh. But like, what about the fact I can't walk? Like, can, can we do something about that? Is that really why he came? Was for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, his friends brought him for the practical reason of healing him. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the paralytic might have missed it, okay? Jesus says your sins are forgiven. We're not really sure all that happens with him, but the fair, the teachers of the law most certainly do not miss what's happening in this moment. Jesus is claiming to be God by saying that he can forgive sins. In that moment they know exactly who Jesus is. You're claiming to be the son of God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now think about yourself. You ever gotten away with a lie? You ever gotten away with something that you think nobody knows about? God knows about it. God is able to forgive it. Or what about anger in your heart or hate in your heart or deceitfulness or envy or any of those things? Jesus looks at the man and says your sins are forgiven no one can do that but God alone verse 8 Jesus you know he doesn't miss a beat here and we read about his divine knowledge we get insight into how he is able to see into the hearts of the people immediately verse 8 Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them why are you thinking these things which is easier to say to this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say get up take your mat and walk But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus sees into their hearts. And he says, you think it's a big deal for me to heal physically. I can do something far more profound and powerful than that. I can actually forgive sins. See, the teachers of the law in this moment, they know who Jesus is claiming to be. They see what he's claiming to do. But they don't believe it themselves. They're like, no, 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 no. You're claiming to be God. There's no way that that can be true. So Jesus says, which is easier then, for me to heal the paralytic or for me to forgive sins? Verse 10, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What is going on there? Like We've been talking about Son of God, but Son of Man, what is this? Well, the teachers of the law knew exactly what this was. Listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. The teachers of the law would have known this, these verses. Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, O coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority. Glory, sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus says he's a son of man, he is claiming to be the Messiah and the teachers of the law know it and they're like blasphemy. You're way too unimpressive to be the son of man. And Jesus says, well, just so you know who I really am, He can walk and I can forgive sins. There it is. It's staggering to think about. Jesus makes himself so accessible even to people who are struggling to believe who he is. He says, now I know what you're thinking in your heart. He's going to walk and I'm going to forgive sins. Knowing all this, Mark writes this, I tell you, Jesus says, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This is incredible. Jesus has power to do things beyond our imagining. And as a Christian today, you know, we pray, right? This man's friends were praying for him. We pray, and they were praying for healing. And oftentimes we pray for healing or we pray for God to do things. Why do we do that? You know, it's interesting, what they were praying for for this man was physical healing and Jesus starts with something bigger. He says, I'm gonna forgive sins. But then he also does the miracle. And in our own lives, we we go through some of this. You know, this morning, God offers forgiveness of sins by grace and through faith in what Jesus has said. That is immediately accessible to you right now as these words are coming out of my mouth. It is also true, we pray for healing. And we pray for God to act. And we pray for God to do things. We pray God to help us on our tests. And we pray God to help us be strong and to be gracious to us. How does God answer those prayers? He answers them exactly like he thinks we most need. Here's the good news. The tough part is he doesn't always answer like we want him to. But the good news is is that what Jesus is revealing is what's going to be true for all of us one day. This miracle in the physical realm is meant to communicate that one day Jesus is in fact going to give all of us new bodies. That chronic back pain is not going to plague you for eternity. That whatever it is, whatever healing you might need physically, God wants to hear that. And sometimes he does act miraculously in this day and age. But in this in particular instance, Jesus is revealing what it's like for Daniel 7 to come true. The one who has glory, the one who is sovereign over all things, the one whom all nations will praise and ascribe uh, uh, worthiness and glory to, that one who's been given all authority is the Son of Man, and that's who Jesus is. And he says, I am king over all things, even the physical realm. You know, Jesus gives us insight into an already and not yet. And when you read his word, as he's preaching his word, you get this sense that Jesus is saying, the kingdom has started and there's going to be more. And that's a lot of what happens with us in our day in life uh, now where we're thinking about, God, I have this prayer request. I have this thing I want to see happen. And I've been praying for it for a long time. And you're not doing it like I want. And God calls us back into trusting him in the midst of, of whatever the difficulty is because his grace is sufficient for us. And ultimately, he really does have power. Jesus wants us to know that he is the Son of Man. But what does Jesus see here? Think about Jesus' perception of what's taking place. He sees the men lowering their friend. He sees all the people watching. He sees the faith of the men lowering their friend. He sees the hearts of the teachers of the law. He sees their actions and their words. And in verse 8, we read that he actually knows their hearts and he aims like a laser right for it and says, Why are you saying these things? Now, Jesus isn't asking that question because he doesn't know the answer, right? He's asking that question to invite them to not just know who God is, but to actually begin to see who he is by engaging with it. He's saying, Why are you saying these things? You've seen me do these things. Why is it that you will not embrace them? Why will you not believe them? You know, the men cry out, blasphemy. You know, they literally are misunderstanding not what Jesus is saying, because he is claiming to be God, but they're misrepresenting him right there in that moment. Have you ever been misrepresented? Has your reputation ever been maligned? Has anyone ever said something about you that's not true? Do you know Jesus knows exactly what that's like? And he faces it with the reality of his grace because he is the king. The question Jesus is asking them and he's asking the friends and he's asking the whole audience to consider is, if you know who I am and you're seeing what I'm doing, do you really believe in me? Do you really believe in me? Jesus does this miracle. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, this this story of the paralytic is actually a summary of the entire ministry of what Jesus does. We're in Jesus' house. He offers healing to this man, not just physically, but spiritually. He gives him a new body and a new heart in that moment. And that's the same thing that He promises all those that will follow Him ultimately. As Christians, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns, where we'll all have new bodies. But think about how cruel it would have been for Jesus to just give this man a new body and say, okay, you're healed, you can walk, who else needs a miracle? Because what's going to happen to that man's body? It's going to fail him again. Maybe he's, been doing, you know, maybe he's uh, going to get sick, or maybe there's going to be a war. If Jesus, If all Jesus had for him was a new body, it's not enough. And Jesus knows that. And so he starts with the greater thing, and he says, your sins are forgiven. A new body is a temporary fix. You know, if you're driving your car and the battery dies, and you think, I'm just gonna buy a new battery. I'm just gonna put a new battery in the car. And you drive it for a day or two and your battery dies, and you're like, huh, I just need a new battery. And you just keep buying a new battery every couple days. You're gonna realize eventually your alternator's not working, or something else isn't right with your car. The battery is just a temporary fix. It's never gonna deal with the issue that's really wrong with your car. So many times, this is easy for me to do this too, but so many times, when I'm praying to God and I think this is the only and main thing I need you to do for me, it's all I need from you. And he says, I hear you, I understand, and I'm gracious, but you need to know how much I love you. You need to know that I've forgiven you. You need to know that I'm gonna be with you. You need to know that you're never gonna to have to be alone. You need to know that my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, but I really need this and I really need that. And he says, I know. And maybe sometimes he gives those things, but more often than not, Don't be surprised by this. You're actually going to have to express faith. That God is who he says he is even when we say he's not. Just like the teachers of the law. Jesus was still who he was even though the teachers of the law were saying he was not that. Jesus has for you not just the promise of a new body but actually the promise of spiritual renewal and healing today. That's the kind of God he is. He says to you, I can give you a new heart. You can experience forgiveness. Knowing these things, seeing these things, the real part of the journey is learning to actually enter into and believe these things. It's one thing to know who Jesus is. You know, I grew up in the church. It's one thing to know all the stories. It's one thing to know, you know, who Noah is and who Abraham is and what all these different stories are about. It's one thing to know that. It's another to actually even see God change people's lives, which as a pastor, I see that on a regular basis where God's grace nourishes people and challenges them, and sometimes it's you know difficult, and sometimes it's really good. But I get to see that. The real challenge is this, believing. Why is Jesus doing what he's doing in this story? What Jesus is doing, he's revealing his word Embodied. What does it look like for the message that Mark has been talking about in, the, in chapter 1 to actually hit the dirt and begin to impact someone's life? Well, for this man, his friends were hopeless, and he was hopeless. And what they discovered by coming to Jesus is that he had not just power that they needed to heal his physical body, but he had even more profound power to heal his spirit, to offer him forgiveness, you know, Forgiveness is essential for us to be able to experience peace with God and peace with one another. You can't do it any other way. If you try to convince God through your right actions or by your obedience to ten new rules or by showing God, look at all the things I don't do or look at all the things that I do do and that's going to be the ground you start on to say, okay, now I can trust God's love. You're missing the greater gift. The greater gift is that Jesus approaches this man and gives him what he doesn't even ask for. He heals his heart. He's gracious to him before he can respond. Do you notice the man can't get up and obey Jesus until Jesus gives him a new body? He can't get up and leave until Jesus heals him first. You know, God invites you this morning to consider, do you really know how much he loves you? Have you really seen his promises in the scripture? Are you wrestling with what it means to actually believe that you're forgiven and he calls you into a kingdom of forgiveness whose result brings new feet to paralyzed people and new life to dead people and sight to blind people and above all, a new heart to everyone today. That's what God invites you into considering. Experiencing God's forgiveness is so important for your spiritual well-being. I don't know if you ever watch um, PBS, I don't normally, but Jamie and I watched this one series, Les, uh, Les Rob. that was on PBS. It's pretty new, I think it came out this year. It's, it, it's really, it's fun to watch, and I won't go through the whole story, but they do such a good job honing in on Inspector Javert. So Jean Valjean is in prison, he finally pays his uh, debt for stealing the bread when he was young, and he's gonna leave. And before he does, Inspector Javert comes up to him and says, here's the thing, I could have been a criminal just like you. Men like us have only two options. We can either become a criminal or join the system. You chose the former, I chose the latter. You will never change. And then he sends him out. And the rest of the story, you can go watch it, Um, The rest of the story, we see Jean Valjean express incredible generosity and incredible kindness and faithfulness to this little girl. The saving of a man's life who's ultimately wanting to take away the thing that's most precious to Jean Valjean. And then his utter humility and being willing to let his daughter have her life without the mar of him being a criminal. Inspector Javert chases him the whole time. And every time Inspector Javert tries to say, look, he's evil. What Inspector Javert finds is someone who's living out forgiveness and it confounds him. But what to me was just so powerful about this story is at the end you get to see the fruit of a life that has experienced forgiveness and the fruit of a life that is committed to retribution or bitterness or self-righteousness or judgment. Jean Valjean dies in peace. He dies forgiven. He dies at peace with his little daughter. It's a beautiful ending to his life. Inspector Javert, who is so accomplished, I mean, he is like the police officer chief, extraordinaire hero. And he sees that Jean Valjean has even forgiven him and is willing to do what is right and give himself, you know, over to the authorities. And it is so confounding to Javert, he cannot wrap his mind around how someone would be so sacrificial, especially someone who's a criminal who can never change because they're evil. And it contorts his conscience so that he has to resign, and ultimately it ends his life. And he ends in the utter confusion of living in a world without forgiveness. What Jesus offers this man, what Jesus is actually offering the teachers of the law, is forgiveness. Access to this new kingdom, to know who Jesus is, that he is the all-powerful Messiah and Son of God. To be able to see who he is. I mean, Jesus shows them incredible things. And as we make our way through Mark, you're it's like like I said earlier, it's like virtual reality. Like enter into the story. These are amazing stories that God has given us so that we can, in our minds, see how powerful and good Jesus is. To know it and to see it, are, it's part of the journey. But the real next step to being able to experience God's forgiveness is entering into belief. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is here's the good news if you think you might or if you're beginning the journey of wanting to trust him he is ready to receive you you know my prayer is that Grace Presbyterian Church can be a place where you explore that Jesus is everything I would encourage you this week go back and read the gospel of Mark chapter 2 read this story Read it with no, put all your doubts aside for a minute. Say, I'm not going to doubt anything. I'm just going to read this as if I was standing there watching it myself. Consider who Jesus is. Do you know who he is? Do you see who he is? Do you really believe in who he is? Jesus is inviting you into a life where you can experience life-giving, life-transforming forgiveness simply by faith. That's the profound nature of his love for you. Okay? Let me pray for us as we approach the table. Jesus, as we consider your word and we consider this vivid story of you approaching people, people who sense a desperate need for you, people who outright reject what you're saying, although they hear what you're saying, people who are just the audience who are walking. And as we read in verse 12, are utterly amazed at these things. Or we know that you approach all those kinds of people, and that includes us. And so this morning, as we ponder this story of what you did to reveal your kingdom and really what you did to reveal to us an invitation to put our faith in you that you would do that by your spirit as we hear your word and we celebrate your supper that you would use this time together to really move us to belief in your promises that bring life to us. We ask all this in your name Lord Jesus. Amen.